Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Well, my name is Sean, and I'm one of the pastors on our team, and it is my first time getting to preach in this space, so I'm excited to be in here, be inside. Be Sure, you can clap for that. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, sure. I am glad that Josh is back in the booth because he put batteries in my microphone. Kip sabotaged me two weeks ago, made me look like an idiot, so we should be all set there. Now, we've been in this uh, mini-series looking at the book of Ephesians, which we kicked off at Crescent Lake. We celebrated baptisms, and now six weeks later, we are wrapping up this book. As you've heard over the course of the past six weeks, Ephesians talks about uh, the nature of the church and how Christians are to live out their faith. These last few chapters in particular, they focus on practical advice, and that continues with our text today. We've seen some big claims made throughout the book of Ephesians that God unites everything in the universe through Christ, puts everything under his authority. That is the big story of God. That God has created a new humanity out of old animosities, that we have been chosen by God before creation, that we are raised with Christ, will be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. The book started with a lengthy prayer, and it's going to close, as we just heard, talking about prayer. But there are a few difficult topics that come up in our passage today that we're going to explore, and maybe you notice them. So I just want to name them to start, and then we'll come back and talk about them as we work through our text. The first one is talking about the devil, talking about the devil's schemes, right? Uh, Really the existence of evil, how it manifests in the world. You know, if I'm honest, sometimes it can be hard to talk about this stuff and what's the devil and what's evil and what's just kind of stuff that happens, right? So I think that might be the case for some of you guys too. Second tough topic within this passage is all of the military and war imagery that's present. You know, what do we do with that? Uh, As many of you guys know, um, Julia and I are having a baby in four-ish weeks. I don't know uh, when that happens, right? But Pete was giving me some fatherly advice the other day, and he said, when you become a dad, you have two options of things to get super into, either World War II history or smoking meats, okay? He said, those are the only two things that you get to choose from. And I smoked four racks of ribs last night for dinner, just for Julia and I, so That probably answers that question, but the bigger question is, you know, what do we do with some of the militaristic imagery in this passage in light of the misuse of violence by Christians throughout history? I know many of you have read or are reading Jesus and John Wayne, but this is a book that talks about uh, some of the conflation of Christianity and the military in violence, and many of you are exploring that tension for yourself. And then finally, as we just heard this passage, it, it talks about, you know, putting on certain items or what we need to wear, the outfit we need to put on to fight against evil. And I just think with pandemic and the quarantine, there needs to be more like, you know, the sweatpants of righteousness, you know, the pajamas of truth. That makes a lot more sense, 
you know, some of the COVID diets many of us have been on, the work clothes that we've been wearing, right? So we're going to cover all of that today as we unpack our text. And what our text seems to be here is really kind of a pump-up speech from Paul. He's told us all this stuff, this big story of God. He's talked about unity in the body, the community, the church, how to live. But he is now preparing his team for the big game. That is how he's closing this letter. You know, it's like when my Baylor Bears were in the national championship for basketball a few months ago. Big pump-up teach, got them ready to play, and they dominated. Pump-up speech, yeah. The rest of my team suck at everything, so I'm going to talk about that for a long time, okay? So um, that is just, that is what was happening. It's a pump-up speech for the big game, or maybe if you are a movie fan, it's like in Braveheart, okay? When William Wallace is preparing the army for battle, they say, they may lose their lives, they will never lose their freedom, yes, okay? Gets them pumped up, ready to fight. Or maybe, maybe if you're a nerd like me, Lord of the Rings, third one, Return of the King. Aragorn leads the armies of men to the Black Gate, right? He tells them there may be a day in the future when evil will triumph, but it's not this day, okay? He gets them pumped up. I could do this all day for movie and sports. But basically, in closing out this letter, Paul knows that, that the people will be going out into the world, and they're going to be battling against the powers of darkness. So he wants to make sure that they are prepared. The text says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What we see is that this text makes it clear that there are forces of evil at work in the world, that the existence of evil and darkness and the devil is a reality for us. Depending upon your faith tradition or background, the devil may have been something that you talked about way too much or you completely ignored. Not a lot of middle ground there. And no matter where you fall, what your experience has been, what we see throughout the New Testament is that we can be certain that whatever power the devil has or the schemes that he can come up with, we can be certain that we've been given the power to overcome them. Too often we think of this as being a battle between, you know, dark and light, good and evil, God and Satan, equal and opposing forces, challenging one another, battling it out. And while that may make for a good movie plot, that's not the case. These are not evenly matched foes. In fact, God has already won and defeated Satan. We know how this story ends and who is the loser. You know, I said earlier, as an expectant father, I'm more into smoked meats than World War II, but World War II actually does highlight this idea. We kind of live, in, it's the difference between D-Day and V-E Day, or Victory in Europe Day. D-Day was the decisive moment of the war. It was on June 6, 1944. It determined the outcome of the war. There was, there was no doubt about where it was heading, but it wasn't over. The, the mopping up operations continued until VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, on May 8, 1945. That was when the war in Europe was over. So in a sense, we live between those two days. The decisive battle has already been won by God. The ultimate divine victory is not in any doubt, but 
the spiritual forces of evil have not gone gently into the good night. The devil, allied with all the evil powers of darkness, continues to scheme against God, to to work towards destructive and divisive ends, and to attack the saints of God. Paul talks about evil throughout the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, 2, 3, and now 6, because the forces of evil are not happy about the resurrection. Their rule has been challenged. Communities loyal to Jesus have been springing up, bringing people together. They're demonstrating the power of God. So even though evil has lost, it's trying to do everything they can to stop this. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his famous work that I'm sure many of you have read or are familiar with, The Screwtape Letters. If you don't know it, it's a satirical set of letters from one devil serving as a mentor to a lesser devil, a new devil, and he counsels him how to undermine God's words, how to distract people, and offers up some shockingly accurate um, comments on human nature. But in the introduction, C.S. Lewis says, the general public prefers either to ignore the forces of evil altogether to pretend that they don't exist, to use cartoon images of a devil with horns and hooves as an argument to that effect. So you don't really believe in all that nonsense, right? Or to take an unhealthy interest in everything being demonic, which can be just as bad. And I know that it can be hard to figure out what is actual evil versus what are things that are just happening And while that is a tough challenge, wherever you fall, Paul reminds us here that evil is real, and we must know the tools at our disposal to defend ourselves from evil. Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God to take our stand and to fight in this battle. Again, this militaristic imagery that's prevalent throughout the Bible can sometimes make folks feel uncomfortable. And I do want to be very clear, we have nothing but gratitude for all veterans and those who have served. I see a few over here that we're grateful for. I have many family members in the military and so grateful for their service and those who have sacrificed so much for us. But we can also recognize that these texts can be dangerous in our hands because we've proven time and time again that we like to pick up non-metaphorical weapons of war and use them that the church has too often aligned itself with the empire and military forces. Church history contains too many examples of crusades and of blessing the armies and weapons intended to annihilate other members of God's creation. So I'm always cautious when I approach a text that seems to blend the church's faith and military force together. And yet, in light of all that, what this imagery does is it reminds us that faith cannot be complacent and that we cannot ignore the daily reality of evil. War and violence were constantly around these early Christian communities that this letter was written to. Paul himself was in prison. As he was writing this letter, he was probably staring at a guard wearing a full suit of armor. That's probably where he got this imagery from. We also have to remember that early Christians were pacifists more than anything else. They didn't take up weapons against their persecutors. Many died as martyrs. While many Jewish people expected a Messiah that would come as a military ruler, Jesus changed all that. These early Christians felt that they weren't called to bear arms against human agents because their battle was a spiritual one. Their true enemies were sin, evil, death, and forces that wage war for the spirit. The text makes it clear this this battle is not with flesh 
and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil that are present in the world. And the work of the powers of darkness is often subtle and hidden and Machiavellian. I mean, look at the text. It says the devil's schemes. Or if you remember the old school text, they used to say the devil's wiles. Love that word. It doesn't say the devil's like full frontal assaults completely out in the open. You can't miss it. It says the devil's schemes. Because more often evil lurks beneath the camouflage of uh, cultural common sense of compromise in the name of being reasonable, unacknowledged personal benefit from unjust systems. It exists in the housing practices used to discriminate against black and brown people and the forces of systemic racism. It exists in our corporate greed and excess and constant desire for more that results in the abuse of our planet and abuse of God's creation. It exists in our fear of the other and the ways we don't take God seriously to accept the stranger. These are the subtle ways in which evil permeates and tries to make little attacks even though the battle has already been won. So what are we to do about it? Paul says we are to be strong in the Lord, but with the tense that this verb is in, it is probably more accurately translated as be made strong in the Lord. And we'll come back to this idea. But Paul lets us know that we go into this conflict with our community alongside us. In verse 11, the you that is used here is plural, so it's not just specific to one person. In verse 12, Paul mentions our struggle. It's not a one-person show. Evil is resisted by the church's life together. We must rally around one another to defeat the obvious and subtle system of evil in this spiritual battle and be made strong in the Lord as a community. So Paul goes on to say, starting in verse 13, he says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So including the first chunk of scripture that we read before, Paul says stand four different times in this passage. And I know that sometimes just stand can feel passive. You know, you're just standing there. But this, this is more like taking a stand or gearing up. The tense has switched here. So, so it almost reads like this. Stand, therefore, having girded yourself with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having fitted your feet in readiness for the gospel, having taken the shield of faith. So in light of what Paul has already said in this letter, he is saying to, to stand firm, we have to be nurtured in a tradition, in a faithful community, and grow deep in its, root, its rich soil. The roots that develop are what allow us to stand firm, that that combined with God's resources is how we stand firm. And if you'll allow me just one small tangent, and since I have the microphone, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, standing firm is not the same thing as being stubborn. 
I've seen a lot of people really miss that. I've missed that in seasons of my life. Sometimes as Christians, we are a lot better at being stubborn than standing firm. When we are stubborn, we believe that our opinion is best. We're closed-minded. We don't listen to ideas other than our own. We reject other suggestions out of hand. We refuse to change our position. Being stubborn shows we care more about ourselves than others. We're committed to being uninformed. We don't want to grow. We don't want to listen. Oftentimes, the stubborn heart is the result of, in of insecurity. On the other hand, when we stand firm, we are committed to truth, but we are willing to debate. We're willing to listen to others. We're willing to consider all alternatives. We aren't afraid to talk about hard and nuanced and gray topics. We're open to others. We're willing to sacrifice for others. We show a willingness to be informed. As Christians, we have to be careful not to stray from standing firm to being stubborn. And Paul tells us that we can stand firm together as a community and through the spiritual resources and tools that God provides. Now, this is definitely uh, one of the more epic passages of the Bible, and I know many of you may have memorized this as a kid. I mean, come on, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. These are all pretty epic, except for the one that's like the feet of readiness. Is that shoes? Like, one of these is not like the other, is kind of all I'm saying. But the equipment that Paul is talking about here, that, that we are to utilize in the spiritual battle against evil, they are not instruments of destruction, but they are tools to build up the community and equip the saints for ministry. I mean, if you look back at that list, the tools at our disposal are mainly defensive. They are equipping us to withstand attack and still be standing at the end of the day. So the first one is the belt of truth. This tool recognizes that even in our 2021 world and, and the deconstruction that going through with faith, there still is truth, that we can rest on the truth of the gospel. As N.T. Wright puts it, the gospel isn't true because it works. It works because it's true. The truth of the gospel is the belt which holds everything else together and in place. I had a joke in here about Spanx, but I took it out, okay? It keeps everything where we need it to be. I guess I still said it. Um, this points back to what Paul is talking about even a few chapters ago, talking about speaking the truth in love, we are committed to the truth of the gospel. Next, we have the breastplate of righteousness. While righteousness feels like a pretty lofty and churchy and theological word, this tool recognizes that because of Jesus, we can put on righteousness ourselves. We have the status of already being in the right before God, which serves like, like a breastplate, like armor protecting us from attacks. And this points back to Paul's conversation about how our new self is created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness just a few chapters ago. Okay, the feet of readiness, my least favorite. But I think that the feet are not the real star of the show here. It's the feet of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
that is the key here, the gospel of peace, that the message is one of peace with God and peace between previously different hostile groups as we talked about in chapter two. While the powers of darkness, they're gonna try and knock us off our feet. If we have committed to peace, we'll be able to stay upright, to hold our ground and stand firm. Next, the shield of faith. This is one of the best tools of defense we have because our faith and our belief in Jesus protects us when flaming arrows come our way. Now, I imagine you don't have literal flaming arrows coming at you when you walk out your front door, but you may have arrows of doubt or despair. You may have arrows of tough circumstances, of a hard diagnosis, a never-ending temptation, or you might even have arrows of success that lead to arrogance or pride in your life. But belief and faith give you a framework for working through these issues and not letting them keep you down and allowing you to stand firm. Next, the, the helmet of salvation. This one is similar to the breastplate of righteousness, but when we put on the helmet of salvation, we understand that we are already a part of God's family that we've already been saved. Our salvation is secure, that we are on the winning team. Salvation is a gift from God we put on that protects us from all other attacks. And then finally, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is really the one offensive weapon. And when Paul is talking here, is pointing back to how he discussed the word of God in just the previous chapter in chapter five, and he describes it as that through which God accomplishes his powerful and cleansing work in people's hearts and lives. In his description of these tools, Paul is pulling from the book of Isaiah with imagery used in that text. And what's interesting is, is the, the places that he's pulling from are passages that are describing the coming Messiah as one who is clothed in righteousness and faithfulness, as striking the earth with his words, with a mouth sharp like a sword, announcing the gospel of peace. So that gives us our final clue as to what Paul means when he tells us to be made strong in the Lord. It is because all of these things are true of Jesus himself and because we find ourselves in Jesus that they can be true of us too. That is what it means to be made strong and to go on being made strong, understanding that we have access to God's resources because we are in Jesus. And the final tool that Paul talks about that is essential to this struggle is prayer. The text says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the tool that brings all of the others together. That in the face of the continuing struggle and strife, ongoing prayer is indispensable. Prayer that is by the Spirit and through the Spirit and empowered in the Spirit because the Spirit is essential when confronting the powers of darkness. 
In verse 18 alone, Paul gives us three ideas to remember about when we think about prayer. First is that it should be constant. He tells us to pray on all occasions, not just a few moments in bed before we fall asleep or a few moments in the shower in the morning, which, to be fair, is better than nothing, but to live a life of prayer because prayer is how we practice being present with God. That is what we have to do. That is how we constantly pray as we practice being present with God. Second, Paul tells us to pray with all kinds of prayers and requests, to not limit our prayers to what we think we're supposed to pray about, but to bring everything we can to God, whether it's something going on at work, a hope for your kids, or prayers for the world, all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. And then thirdly, Paul tells us that prayers to be unselfish. He says, keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And I constantly have to remind myself of this, but if I am only praying for the things that concern me and my family, then I've missed the mark. These are the tools that point us towards living a life of praying without ceasing, as it says in other places in scripture. So yes, we want to think about the saying of prayers, but if we are to truly mind the depths of what God has for us, in us, and through prayer, it is about the becoming of prayers. To pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests is to live in a world where everything you see and experience is a kind of prayer. It's an opportunity to live in deep awareness of the way God is working in the world. It means that we are in intimate communion with God and communication with God at all times. Persistence in prayer is a hallmark of trusting in God's care and knowing that in the daily struggle against evil, we must remain tethered to God. So I think that this text today and, and the conclusion of Ephesians is a helpful and a realistic text because it makes clear that we must recognize that attacks are coming and they will come. And in light of this, we must learn how to put on the armor of God and stand firm. Yet in this struggle with evil, those who are in Jesus are actually on the defensive. And that's not a bad thing. We've been conditioned that being on the offense is what we need to do. But when we read this text, I don't think the takeaway is like an onward Christian soldier's battle cry. The cry is for the faithful of God to stand firm and withstand the attacks of evil, knowing that the ultimate victory is already won, that we have access to the tools God has given us in access to God himself through Jesus. It's the fourth quarter. We have a five-touchdown lead, okay? We can run out the clock. They're trying to take cheap shots at us, but the ending is not in doubt. So yes, the community of faith will be attacked, and evil is specifically seeking out the people of God. This evil takes all types of form from cosmic forces and overt acts to systemic powers of racism and abuse of creation. But as we stand together as a community, knowing that our resources come from God himself, we can ultimately stand. So, Antioch family, may we put on the armor of God, be strong in the Lord, and stand firm together. Now, one of the ways in which we are reminded of our commitment to Jesus and one another is through the practice of communion. 
Reminds us how we can stand firm as a body together. And Pastor Amy is going to come up and lead us through that practice together now.